Hey, Crypt Keepers, I want to tell you about our affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month, you'll receive a new paranormal soft style tee and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. They're pretty dope shirts with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines. Uh, my favorite is a cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. The designs are actually silk screened onto a soft style tee and we all know those are super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt, you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. Each shirt contains a secret password. It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. You can find the link in the show notes and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so we would really appreciate it too. Hello and welcome, Crypt Keepers. Welcome to another episode of Cryptique. We're coming at you dead from the crypt. I say we, but I mean I. Ryan will not be joining us tonight because he lost his voice. At least that's what he says. Illegal or not? I told him I would gladly read his questions to our esteemed guest if he would just text them to me, but he declined. I was going to use my Pee-wee Herman voice. It's me, Pee-wee. In any case, we ask that you subscribe and please post on social media. Share that link on Facebook, Twitter, everywhere you can. Put us out there. We really, really, really appreciate it. If there's something you want us to investigate, send us case suggestions at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. C-R-Y-P-T-I-Q-U-E podcast at gmail.com. With that out of the way, get ready to put your thinking caps on because tonight's guest has a wealth of knowledge to share. Who's on the show tonight? Mark Anthony, of course. Mark Anthony is also known as JD Psychic Explorer, aka the Psychic Lawyer. He's a fourth-generation psychic medium who communicates with spirits. He is an Oxford-educated attorney licensed to practice law in Florida, Washington, D.C., and before the United States Supreme Court. Mark travels to mystical locations in remote corners of the world to examine ancient mysteries and supernatural phenomena. His latest book, a bestseller, is called The Afterlife Frequency. The scientific proof of spiritual contact and how that awareness will change your life. This book was submitted for a Pulitzer. It's been endorsed by the world's top survival of consciousness and near-death experience scientists and recommended by film icon Shirley MacLaine and designated as one of the top 16 books about belief in God by PrettyProgressive.com. 
He also has books titled Evidence of Eternity and Never Letting Go. Tonight, I want to welcome Mark Anthony to Cryptique. Welcome, sir. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. You know, I, I want to let your listeners know that when you start hearing science and quantum physics related to my book, do not expect a dry and boring read. <laughs> <laughs> As an attorney, I have suffered through so many boring books, boring legal opinions. Oh, I, I, I write I write my books like juicy novels. So there'll be the science <laughs> in there, but then there'll be stories that you can relate to. And it delves into all types of things like coping with uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. coping with a loved one who's been murdered, uh, coping with terminal illness. And then, of course, there is all the, the science about spirit communication, near-death experiences, shared death experiences, deathbed visions. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really honored and humbled how well this book has been received. Um, it was endorsed by film legend Academy Award-winning actress Shirley MacLaine. I mean, that mm-hmm. in and of itself. But then the the endorsements and the support of the scientific community, then I understand I was notified by Columbia University. It was under consideration for a Pulitzer Prize. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that one. Like, And then it recently won the Coalition of Visionary Resources Award for uh, Best Book. And I mean, uh, it's just thank you to everybody who have been very supportive. And so uh, my book can be found at all fine bookstores, Amazon. And if you go to my website, afterlifefrequency.com, just like the title of the book, The Afterlife Frequency, you can order it. Plus you can sign up for my newsletter, schedule a reading with me. And um, so I, I, once again, I I find it um, such an honor to be able to reach so many people. Yeah, I mean, everybody's looking for something right now. And, you know, this is a good positive thing that people can kind of, you know, help focus their lives. Tell us a little bit about, do do you consider it a gift that you have or a curse or just something that seems normal because you've, you know, had it since you were little? Well, I was born with the ability to perceive and communicate with spirits. And this is a genetic trait that runs in my family. Both my mother and my father had these abilities. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I'm the first person that went public with this. My dad right. w- was a U.S. Navy SEAL, <laughs> all right? And uh, he was also a NASA engineer, real science, real left brain, uh, you know, no-nonsense guy. Sure. My mother was an artist, commercial illustrator. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, we were the all-American family next door. Sort of. <laughs> um, <laughs> Halloween always a big deal at our house because, uh, you, know, you know, well, it was, but I mean, the, the joke is, you know, I, I get the biggest kick out of uh, some of my colleagues, the uh, mm-hmm. mediums that say the veil between this side and the other is thinner in Halloween. It's like, give me a break. All right. So, what <laughs> you're telling me is that the entire universe, not to mention the multiverses, the other uh, parallel dimensions, uh-huh. are somehow dependent on a dark ages, Northern European Celtic agricultural observance. Doesn't make much sense. No, because, because it doesn't, the veil between this side and the other side, or in other words, the frequency between our material world dimension and the afterlife frequency is, is 
here all the time. Mm -hmm. And spirits communicate with us uh, constantly. And in the afterlife frequency, I teach people my four-step raft technique, how to recognize the presence of spirits, accept the contact is real, feel it without fear, and trust in the message. And, it, and my book isn't about turning people into mediums. It's about, because not everybody is a medium. Sure. And it's like not everybody's an Olympic swimmer. Not everybody's a rock and roll lead guitarist. Not everybody's a, a, a physics uh, you know, expert, mm -hmm. a quantum physicist. But we all have the ability to have psychic and mediumistic experiences and to benefit from those. One of the teaching aspects of the afterlife frequency is the RAF technique to teach people this. We hear so often that kids have these abilities and their parents and teachers and society kind of wears them down and says, no, what you're seeing isn't real. What you're experiencing isn't real. It's just a nightmare, your imagination. But you, you came up different than that. So tell us a little bit about, you know, growing up with a family that actually understood your gift. Well, let me tell you, it was hard when I was a teenager because I couldn't get away with anything because mom and dad always seemed to know <laughs> what was. <laughs> of course. And, and, you know, I mean, you know, parents all have a sixth sense about their children, but when mommy and daddy are psychics, forget about it. Um, it was it was great. It was an honor. And I started seeing spirits when I was around three and a half. And which is not unusual for toddlers to say that, you know, they have invisible friends and sure. and that sort of thing. But with me, when mom and dad can see them as well. And I remember my father saying to me, Mark, don't talk about this to anybody but your mother and I, because hmm. other people won't understand. And people who see things, others don't get taken away. Wow. And that that really freaked me out. I bet. I mean, that, that's me. I was five years old and I was getting ready to start Catholic school. Uh -huh. uh, and, and I, you know, when I started Catholic school, I figured, oh, well, you know, they're all talking about angels and saints and all these invisible beings. But then I realized, yeah, dad, dad definitely had a point. The reason that he said that is my father had four siblings, three sisters and a brother. And one of his sisters, like him, was a medium, my aunt Marjorie. And I never met Aunt Marjorie, not in this world. And about 20 years before I was born, she was married to this guy who was a machinist. And he was getting ready to go to work at this steel plant in Pennsylvania. And, and one morning, she had a terrible feeling. She was feeling it in the pit of her stomach, uh, in the area of her solar plexus, which is one of the psychic receptor areas. Okay. And she begged him not to go to work. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he threw a fit and he, the problem with him is he was a evangelical, like ultra right wing religious fanatic. And he said, fine, fine, I'll stay home. You and that voodoo stuff of yours. <laughs> well, that day a crane was lifting thousands of pounds of steel beams and the cable snapped and the beams fell and crushed the machine shop that he was working in and killed everybody in it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. And you'd think he'd be grateful because there was about a 99.9% .9 chance that he would have been in the machine shop. Uh -huh. And actually what it did is it made him fear her even more. And he conspired with an unscrupulous psychiatrist who diagnosed her as a paranoid schizophrenic. Uh -huh. Because back in those days, 
uh, spirit communication certainly wasn't discussed openly, and people who said that they uh, were communicating with spirits were considered insane or was you know an act of Satan and you know uh-huh. that that you know primitive nonsense. Yeah. Well, she was forcibly removed from her home and uh-huh. taken to a mental institution and subjected to electroshock therapy for mm-hmm. over six months, and her brain was so badly damaged that she was never able to perceive spirits again. Uh, and, and I didn't know this until I was in my late teens. Mm-hmm. I was always, you know, I'd hear things about Aunt Marjorie. And then it, it dawned on me, that's why my father told me when I was only five years old, people who see things others don't get taken away. Mm-hmm. He wasn't trying to be mean to me. He was protecting me. And so I, I owe my father a great debt of gratitude for him being so protective of me at such a young age. Yeah, that that's amazing. I mean, I think they still do electroshock therapy. It's it's crazy to me. It, well, it's it's apparently it's different now than it was um, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Okay. Um now there's very low levels of electricity. Back then, they just used to zap the heck out of you. And basically, it was giving someone a, a, an electrical lobotomy. Wow. And um, I don't know. It, it's Psychics and mediums, we have been brutalized and treated so badly throughout the centuries. And in many countries in the Middle East... Mm-hmm. People like me are put to death, right? Because it's considered, you know, devil worship, and and uh, that that it's somehow it's against the teachings of the Quran and and uh, all of that. But the truth is, this is very real, and it isn't hocus pocus. It isn't magic. It is brainwave frequency alignment with an ultra high frequency from from spirits. And I go into great detail in in the afterlife frequency explaining this. And one of the key concepts that I introduce is the electromagnetic soul. And people say, well, electromagnetic soul, what does that mean? If you, we all know from science, everything's created from molecules. Molecules in, ten, in turn are made up of atoms. Atoms are comprised of electrons, protons, and neutrons. And they are composed of a smaller unit, a subatomic particle of electromagnetic energy known as a quanta. Mm-hmm. And in plural, it's, it's uh, you know, quantum is singular, plural is quanta, but that's where the term quantum physics comes from. And for the physics people, technically an electron is a quantum because it's one eighteen hundredth the size of a proton. All right, so we've covered that. Uh, but, but the thing is, on the subatomic level, everything is electromagnetic energy. Mm-hmm. And we know from the laws of physics that energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. We know from the field of neuroscience, which is the field of science that studies the functions of the human brain. We know from neuroscience that the brain has an electromagnetic field. And we know from faith that from every great belief system, from the sages of ancient India through Zoroaster, Moses, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, all the way into Native American spirituality, that the soul, the who and what we are, which in science and psychology is referred to as consciousness, 
pre-exists the body, comes into the body, moves on after the body. So I developed the term, the electromagnetic soul, to describe what we really are, which is a soul, pure consciousness, that is eternal electromagnetic energy. And that's the building block to understand all the different forms of spirit communication and spirit contact, whether it's mediumship or a visitation you may have in a dream or you feel the presence of a loved one around you, near-death experiences, shared-death experiences, deathbed visions, out-of-body experiences. All of these can be explained through my electromagnetic soul theory. I love it. Absolutely. That's that's really cool that you can break it down on a scientific level because, you know, like you said, everybody throughout history has just basically written off, you know, psychics or mediums or, you know, whatever your preferred term is. But when you can sit down and basically prove it scientifically, it's hard to deny. It, it, it is. And the nice thing about the 21st century is that we're, we have the science now. And I've been part of a number of studies, and I'm going to be part of yet another study at the University of Arizona, uh, which has a very advanced survival of consciousness uh, department. And it's really great working with scientists. And, you know, there's always going to be people who don't believe, and then there's always going to be religious people. And I want to say this about faith. I, I'm a big supporter of faith. Mm-hmm. And I have no problem with with religion. What I have a problem with is fanatics mm-hmm. and people who use their religion as a moral justification to judge others and to for anger, bigotry, hatred, and violence. And people start yanking um, quotes out of scripture and saying, mediums are not of God. It's like, right. yes, well, that is from Deuteronomy Uh, chapter 18, verse 10. But if you go to verse 22, it says that, how do we know a word which the Lord has not spoken? In other words, coming through a prophet, which is uh, the, the biblical term for a psychic or a medium. And what Deuteronomy does is it sets truth as the standard. So if what the prophet says does not come true, then it is not of the Lord. In other words, Truth is the standard. And then when we go to the first book of Corinthians, uh, chapter 12, verses 4 through 12, it's, it's such a beautiful passage that lists the gifts that God gives to, to us. And two of the gifts are prophecy and discernment of spirits. And it says that all these gifts come from the same spirit, meaning God, who distributes them as as he wishes. So it depends where you look in scripture, whether you want to find these abilities as negative or as positive. And certainly truth is the standard and using them to help people heal from the crushing effects of losing a loved one mm-hmm. by, by helping them understand that life truly is eternal then, then this is, is t- putting it in a completely different light from people who simply want to find a justification to grab a stone and go to the stoning. <laughs> well, I haven't heard it described like that, but yeah, I mean, it's been happening forever. You know, most people have ulterior motives when they're, you know, pulling out scripture and trying to prove a point with it. I mean, you have to take the entire thing into context. You can't just pull a sentence out of a book and think you understand the book. So, 
Well, exactly. Exactly. And we could spend the entire episode talking about, you know, the history of, of the Bible and how it's been edited and revised. And, and, uh, but I know there's a lot of other things that you want to get to. All right. One thing that I think everybody wants to know, we see on TV how they portray like a psychic vision or being able to see a spirit. You know, it seems like it's always in horror movies. Of course. <laughs> and Right. Because every spirit is trying to kill you. Right. Yeah. Um, but just explain to the audience, like when you're walking down the street, do you see spirits to the side? Do they look like, you know, what we ha have been taught is a ghost, like a transparent type figure or, or what do you see? Pop culture loves to make this scary. Um, and what it is, that's because people fear the unknown. And death is the great unknown. And I saw a post on Facebook. It was kind of very dark humor. Mm -hmm. It said that when someone we love dies, we pray that they would come back. And then when they do, we start running and screaming, <laughs> you know, and then, um, you know, because they're talking about like the zombie movies and vampires and stuff like that and, and uh, ghosts, of course. But the thing is... Um, our spirit, our electromagnetic soul is pure energy. Energy get, never gets tired, never gets sick, doesn't age. Um, and the spirits move at the speed of light. And so what a spirit does is he, she, or as a collective, they will transmit uh, waves of frequency to us, which get transmitted into our brain. And then our brain converts that into recognizable concepts based on our memories, feelings, and cultural associations. So, um, you know, it's not like everywhere I go, I see spirits everywhere because I define the parameters of the contact, and everybody does. I have people saying, oh, spirits are around me, and they're scaring me. It's like, well, then tell them to stop. And I've had people say, you can do that? I go, well, <laughs> yes. They're not here. They cannot kill you. They cannot control you. They're not here to scare you. And a lot of people misinterpret spirit communication as negative. Now, why is that? That's because spirits being pure EM, electromagnetic energy, when their EM field interfaces with our EM field, the physiological response is cold chills and tingles because that's an electrical sensation. Okay. Now, isn't that the same sensation we experience during fear? It is. See, and so when that happens, people immediately jump to the conclusion, this is scary and this is bad. When you work with spirits the way I do, and I start getting the cold chills and tingles, I'm like, oh, cool, they're connecting with me. you know. <laughs> and then they're like, hi. you know. Right. And so when I see spirits, there's two different ways of per perceiving spirits. Um, the sixth sense, which is essentially our ability to have precognitive, in other words, tune into what you and I would call future events, to be spiritually, situationally aware. That's another term that I present in the afterlife frequency. It's called clairvoyance, which is a French term meaning clear seeing. Okay. Most of the time, the way I see a spirit is what's known as subjective clairvoyance because I perceive them in my mind's eye. Let me explain. For all the listeners, and this includes you. Okay. Think of the Statue of Liberty. All right. Do you see it in your mind's eye? I do. That's how I see spirits. Oh, okay. But then there are situations known as objective clairvoyance, where I will actually see a spirit external to my body, 
And the reason that it's called objective clairvoyance is because other people can see it as well. In other words, once something can be perceived by more than one person, it goes from being subjective to objective. Makes sense. And yeah, and, and I've been in a lot of situations where where that happens. But now, another fascinating part of your question, well, are spirits kind of gray and transparent, you know, like we see in movies? Why do you think that is? Well, gosh, you're putting me on the spot. Maybe it's that people have a little bit of an ability or they have where they can tune in for a, a second, a minute, whatever, and it doesn't appear as totally real or possibly because it's energy and it's not actually a person, you know, with a human body standing in front of you. Those are my thoughts. Very good. Very good. But throughout history, in literature and in art, spirits are depicted as gray, black and white, transparent. And let me ask you this. Have you ever had a feeling that in your peripheral vision, you may see a spirit or you feel the presence of a deceased loved one and then you turn and it seems to vanish? Have you ever had that happen? I have not had that happen, but I've had definitely experiences where I couldn't see anything, like I never saw anything out of the corner of my eye or anything, but I definitely felt the presence of someone or something. And I think that's something probably everybody's felt like, hey, somebody's looking at me across the room and then you turn and they're looking at you. Right. And you turn to see it and you look head on and there's nothing there. Mm. This has everything to do with the structure of the human eye. Have you ever seen a comet? And if you ever see a comet, if you look at it directly, it's very difficult to look at. But if you observe it with your peripheral vision, you can see it more clearly. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with spirits. For a lot of people will feel that they're seeing a spirit in their peripheral vision, but when they turn, uh, the, the spirit vanishes. Okay. Inside of the eye, there's two structures, cones and rods. I've always been told that peripheral vision is a lot more acute. It's, it's kind of more designed to uh, detect motion, but that your, your vision is actually better out of you know right. peripheral. Well, let me let me explain. The the cones uh, cones are at the center of your eye and they detect uh, color and detail and that's ideal for daytime vision whereas rods are in the perif- are on the edge of of your retina and they are light sensitive. And so when you're looking at something that in dim light, like a comet or a spirit, you can see them using your peripheral vision, uh, which are the cones in your eye. And that's what picks up the subtle electromagnetic energy that is the spirit. And the reason that spirits appear black and white and have been thus depicted in art and literature is because when people report these things, they're seeing it out of the part of their eye that is best for nighttime vision and does not detect color. And that's why when you see a spirit in your peripheral vision and you instinctively turn to look at it, they appear to vanish. It's not that they vanish, it's just that you're switching from the from the rods to the cones in your eye. You're going from the hyper light sensitive to the color and detail sensitive, and that's why the spirit seems to disappear. Hmm. And I teach this uh, to paranormal investigators because 
you know, when you start picking up something, uh, if your peripheral vision, you got to be very, very careful not to immediately look at it because then you're going to lose the details that you'll be able to record. This technique is known as averted vision. And averted vision was developed by astronomers to be used in observing comets. Hmm. And so it carries over into, you know, the, the work that, that uh, you do and I do in understanding paranormal phenomena. Okay. And that's also why people think, oh, spirits are black and white. And they're scary and all this. And, you know, they vanish. Or, gee, I really thought I saw something there, but I didn't. So it must have been a hallucination. Mm-hmm. Oh, it must have been a figment of my imagination. No, it wasn't. It's there and you're detecting it. It's just that when you switch from the rods to the cones in your eye, that's when it, it gives the impression that the spirit has somehow vanished. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I've never heard it explained like that, but that that seems to hit the nail on the head. That makes sense. Now in, in horror movies and on TV, they want everything to be super dramatic and super awful. But it sounds like you have had mostly good experiences. Have you ever had a time when, when you felt like a dark presence or you were you know frightened or anything? Um, well, in, in my first book, never letting go, Mm -hmm. I was 19 years old. I I described a story and I was in Germany. I was in Munich, Germany. I was with a bunch of college friends and we'd been out at, uh, a bunch of the beer halls. I mean, come on, you know, when you're in college and we're drinking German beer and and we're having all this fun and all that. And the next day, you know, we're kind of hungover, but you know, you're 19. So boom, you're up at the crack and all, let's go. And we got the bright idea to go visit Dachau concentration camp, which is, yeah, which is one of the Nazi death camps. Um, That's, you know, now it's certainly a, a, it's a museum. It's a memorial. And I've always been a history buff. I absolutely love history. And so we get to Dachau, and as we walk in, I felt this ominous sensation all over me. Now, granted, 19 years old, um, hungover, not prepared for this, and all of a sudden, I was surrounded. I saw all these people in with the emaciated-looking people, sunken faces, wearing the black and white striped garb, shrieking, mm. and I, I was—I mean, I saw like hundreds, if not thousands, of them all around me, and I—I I, I was so overwhelmed, I just collapsed to my knees. I put my head in my hands and I burst out in, into into tears. Right. Well, my college friends like, dude, what is your problem? <laughs> you know, they're like, right. and uh, one, one of my friends, he was from uh, my hometown and he knew about me and he knew about my family. His name was Dave. And he came up and he grabbed me like underneath, you know, under the armpit. Mm-hmm. He goes, mom, mom, Mark, we're getting you out of here. Yeah. And he got me on a bus and he goes, man, I don't know what was going on there, but something major was happening. Mm-hmm. Well, is Dachau haunted? A lot of people think that it is in places like that. Matter retains vibration. And so when you go to a location where there's been a murder, or in the case of Dachau, 40,000 people were murdered there. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of vibration. Yeah. And so there's three schools of thoughts on hauntings. One, that the spirit is somehow trapped there, which I believe is absolute nonsense. Because when your EMS, when your electromagnetic soul leaves the body, you revert to a purely energetic uh, state. You're immediately connected to the infinity of the collective consciousness, mm-hmm. which is you know more and more souls. Right. So you know that. 
okay? Then the second school of thought is that spirits, being aware of that, do return and visit particular locations, maybe the site where they were murdered, or it's a frequency beacon. If you're thinking about someone you love very much, and then all of a sudden you feel the presence of him or her around you, like you've described. The third school of thought is that matter retains vibration. And so the spirits that I saw were no more sentient beings than your reflection in a mirror is you. And so that's why a lot of these haunted houses and, and you know where something terrible has happened, uh, people pick up on this, whether you're a medium or not. And that's when people do uh, house clearings. What they're doing is it's like an echo that never ends. Echo, echo, echo. But the echo can be deflected off. Sure. So here I was completely unprepared for something this major. And it hit me uh, a few years ago. I visited Ground Zero mm-hmm. in Manhattan. And I knew what, what I was doing and I was prepared. And I was getting that same overwhelming sensation, except this time I was ready for it. And I travel with uh, with my manager, Rocky. She she you know she books my tours and things, and she travels with me. Sure. And after about a half hour, she goes, "Mark, I think you've had enough." And I said, "Yes," because you know I basically had to you know shields up, right. <laughs> you know, because right. I had to be be prepared for for the energy. But I will say this about Ground Zero. The memorial that they built, uh, where the two uh, the twin towers were, and the waterfall going in, flowing into it, where it looks like it's going into eternity, mm-hmm. has got to be one of the most beautiful and elegant monuments that I have ever encountered. And so, for the people of New York, for the architects who designed that, for the engineers who built it, kudos. Um, and thank you for building such a a beautiful and honorable monument to all those people that perished. I don't know if I would want your gift, to be totally honest with you. I mean, I think that, you know, with these two examples that you brought up, I think that most people can go in and they get that feeling of, you know, darkness, sadness, anger, whatever it is. I don't think that they actually look at it as, hey, this could be me connecting with something or someone. They look at it and just say, oh, I must be, you know, sad because I know the backstory or whatever. Have you been just overwhelmed, but just like a single spirit where you've just been overwhelmed with sadness or is it just kind of, you know, when you visit these places? It it depends. Uh I, I have done probably close to 15,000 readings in my life. Wow. And during a session, more than one spirit comes through, you know, at least for half a dozen uh, spirits. I, I think the, the most spirits I had come through in one reading was 24. I had uh, 21 people, two dogs, and Rusty the horse. <laughs> I mean, it was it was really cool. And it was funny because when it was over, I go, that was a lot of spirits. And the client, she was an older woman. She said, well, I had 11 brothers and sisters. And, you know, pretty much everybody's over there. And they all came through and brought some people. And, and uh, but the thing is, uh, there have been some, some readings uh, that, that are, they're all emotional. Sure. But, my training as an attorney, because as an attorney or as a doctor, you can't get emotionally upset by what your client or patient is going through. Why? Because then you lose 
your professional objectivity. Mm-hmm. And I have to maintain my professionalism and report what is being transmitted to me so that my client receives as much and as accurate information as possible. It, there was one reading that I did for one of the most incredible people I've ever ever met. Her name is Vicky Rios Martinez. Mm-hmm. And her 11-year-old son, Junie, was kidnapped, raped, and murdered by a serial killer. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And I did a reading for her. And June, uh, first her mother came through. Then Junie came through. And his spirit was just amazing. And then another energy came through. Well, I didn't know, even though this had happened in Florida, and at the time I was practicing law and I was in Florida, Mm -hmm. I didn't know that the killer had been executed because I was actually, I was out of the state at the time. I was on some extended uh, trip and her son's murderer came through and I described him. I go, oh my God, it's him. And I said, "I'll, I'll try to get rid of him. She goes, no. I want to hear what he has to say. Wow. And it was so intense because Junie said, he's not bad here, mom. Hmm. And I could feel that they're on different frequencies. Junie and the grandmother were on a higher vibrational frequency than the murderer, whose name is Mark Dean Schwab. And he started to explain to me, he said, I no longer am afflicted by this. He said, I was I was mentally insane. And it was so, he, he was showing me what, it, or, or transmitting to me what it was like to be him. And I felt disgusting. Okay. Uh, th- that's that's the, the best way I can describe it. I felt like sure. filth and disgust. And he was showing me like his, his brain. It was like watching a computer or a TV screen filled with static. And he said, I was out of my mind. I was insane. And um, he wasn't on the same, like I said, frequency that Junie was, but he was no longer evil. And he was asking her forgiveness. And she said, I do forgive him. And I'm like, you do, you know, (laughs) know, I was breaking. I was like, how how could you possibly do that? And she said, I cannot live with this hatred. And she said, when I went to his execution, he'd already been sedated because he died by lethal injection. Mm -hmm. And she told me that she wanted him to see the forgiveness in her eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, She said, but I felt robbed of that. And now I do. And before he left, I heard three more boys, three other boys, and other victims. Yeah, she uh. goes, "What did you say?" I said, three more boys." She goes, "Mark." She goes, "Nobody knows this because this is part of an ongoing investigation. The police didn't describe it." Mm-hmm. She said, "But I found out that at the scene of my son's murder, they found hair and tissue samples that didn't match my son." or the killer and the police told me that he was a suspect in the murder of other young boys so that's one of those verifiable facts i mean i didn't know this and and this is not public knowledge um and so when that came through that once again reinforced and verified uh, the contact Mm -hmm. and she is an advocate for 
for victims' rights, for child uh, rights. I mean, she said that the problem is that the criminal justice system is a criminal justice system yes. because they're more concerned, the legal system is more concerned about protecting the rights of the defendant than they are the rights of the victim and the victim's family. Yeah. And so, you know, and as an attorney, and I've been a prosecutor and I've also been a defense attorney, mm -hmm. I completely understand what she was saying there. And, and, and I don't want to get off into a legal discussion about that. Sure. But that reading really, really affected me um, because it was so intense. But to see somebody genuinely extend forgiveness to someone who has done the most vile despicable evil act imaginable mm -hmm. and and I wrote about this in my first book never letting go um, I wrote that I always wanted to meet a saint and that day I think I did Hey, Crypt Keepers, I want to tell you about our affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month, you'll receive a new paranormal soft style tee and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. They're pretty dope shirts with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines. Uh, my favorite is a cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. The designs are actually silk screened onto a soft style tee and we all know those are super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt, you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. Each shirt contains a secret password. It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. You can find the link in the show notes and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so we would really appreciate it too. I see it all the time where where people are forgiven and I just don't know if my heart's big enough that I could forgive somebody that that killed my child and you know I know she said it was you know best for her because you know it was tearing her up too I just don't know if I could do it I don't know hopefully I'll never uh, find yeah. out <laughs> hopefully hopefully you won't hopefully nobody um will ever have to find that out Forgiveness is the most complex of all virtues and the most difficult. And, you know, people, you know, people take pot shots at me all the time. Uh, people, you know, uh, uh, are very petty on social media. Yes. You know, social media. Yeah, it doesn't it gives it gives cowards the chance to be bullies because mm -hmm. most people that, that write these, you know, really awful things would never have uh, the courage to say this to somebody's face. And we see this, and it's not just with me, but you see it all, all across the board. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the thing is, uh, when somebody is rude and obnoxious like that, mm -hmm. it says more about them than it ever does about you. Yeah, they just, they like to hide and, you know, throw stones. So... 
distance is not really an obstacle for you and your readings, right? Not at all. The vast majority of my readings are done by telephone. Uh, every Thursday night, I have a live stream show, The Psychic and the Doc, where my co-host, Dr. Pat Basili, she's amazing, world-renowned uh, behavioral psychologist. People call in. I'll do a mini reading for them, and then Dr. Pat will give her interpretation and intuitive insights. It's a very healing and empowering show. we got a lot of great guests on there. And if people want to find out about that, please, once again, go to my website, theafterlifefrequency.com. And a lot of the, the readings that I do for, for my individual clients are telephone readings. And the reason for that is, once again, electromagnetic energy. Everything in the EM spectrum, sure. radio waves, phone waves, telephone, you know, telephone signals, and spirits all move at the speed of light, which is 186,282 miles per second. So that's how and why we can do readings over the phone. And they're just as accurate. So what does a, a reading look like for somebody that, you know, wants to get a reading? They, they call you, you ask them questions, or you just like make the connection? And Well, here's what happens is, well, first off, you go to my website and it'll say schedule a reading. And on all of, all of uh, um, my pages about readings, at the very top, it says, Kindly read this entire page before filling out the form. And we mean that because right. people go right to the form, fill it out, and they're like, I want to know about my love, life, and career. And it says very clearly, I am not a fortune teller. Right. <laughs> I am a psychic medium, an evidential medium. I communicate with spirits. So um, during a reading, I don't want to know anything about the person that I'm doing the, the reading for ahead of time. Okay. Uh, I mean, other than like, you know, your your name and telephone number so that we can contact sure. you. Uh, and then people go, oh, you're researching me. No, I don't do that. I am a member of the United States Supreme Court Bar, the Florida Bar and the Washington, D.C. Bar. And they frown very heavily on those who commit fraud. I imagine. <laughs> okay, so so <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that. But the thing is, um, so when somebody calls in, I, I give preliminary instructions about, okay, this is how a spirit works with me. And then I open up my brain to higher frequencies. When a spirit comes forward, First, I'll get a gender. Mm -hmm. uh, then I get an idea of the relationship to you. So if I say they're on your level, that would be your generation, like a sibling, cousin, spouse, friend, okay. below your level, child, niece, nephew, above your level, parent, aunt, uncle. They don't have to be relatives. Okay. So lady on the mother level could be a stepmother, mother-in-law, teacher, maybe a boss you had, a professor at some point in your life. Mm -hmm. uh, then the spirit will start transmitting to me all types of information. I'll see things, hear things, feel things, and know things, and I'll be describing it to you. And I, I explain this um, on the website. I explain it in great detail in my book, The Afterlife Frequency. And there's a problem a lot of people engage in that I call the no, no, no syndrome. And that's where people start saying, no, no, no. They start shooting everything down. And it's like, hold on. Not everything's going to be readily apparent right, right away. Um, the reading is like a flower. It blooms, blossoms, unfolds. If it doesn't make sense right away, say, I'm not sure. Let me think about it. Mm -hmm. um, the other day, I was doing a reading for someone, and her brother's spirit came through. And, and then suddenly, I'm getting this vision in my head of 
that movie, The Lion King. Okay. And I'm like, Lion King? Did he like Lion King? She said, not really. I said, well, I'm seeing Nala. You know, Nala was the female lion that was Simba's girlfriend, right. apparently. And, and I go, I'm getting Nala. And she goes, well, that's interesting. I go, why? She said, well, my sister was pregnant. And we always said that if the baby was going to be a girl, we were going to name her Nola. Uh I go, Nala, Nola? She goes, yeah, because my brother's name was Nolan. And she goes, oh, my God. And then we realized we got it. Mm -hmm. What it was, uh, the spirit was transmitting Nola, Nolan to me. But my brain, the closest thing my brain has to that name was Nala from The Lion King. Sure. And that's also what's known as a multiple meaning message. Okay. Um, because it had more than one application. They were going to name the baby Nola, and his name was Nolan. And that's why I say if I'm close to something, like if I hear um, Dina, but her name was Tina, close enough. Right. Then there are situations where spirits... Uh, like uh, this is one of th- this is a great example. Happened not too long ago. I was doing a reading for this lady over the phone, and her mother's spirit comes through, and the mother spirit begins to talk to me about a young boy in this world connected to to the woman I'm reading for. I go, she's talking about a seven year old boy very close to you, mm-hmm. and, and and the client says, "Well, I don't have any children." She goes, "But my sister." has a seven-year-old son, my nephew, whom I'm very close to. Go, okay. And I said, and then I start feeling sensations around my eyes. And I realized that, okay, there's some issue going on with his eyes and eyesight. She goes, well, that's really weird. And I go, why? She said, well, yesterday I was talking to my sister on the phone, and she said that her little boy was complaining about blurred vision. And I said, well, your mother wants you guys to make sure that you take him to the eye doctor. And uh, and then I said, and now I'm hearing little Richard singing Tutti Frutti, ah, oh, Rudy, Tutti Frutti. This is going on. She says, well, that doesn't make any sense. She goes, I know who he was, but I, we're not fans. That, that music doesn't mean anything. I said, well, I'll just leave that with you. Mm-hmm. A month later, I get an email. Mark, <laughs> she said, um, I called my sister, told her about this. She said, we're making an appointment for an eye doctor. Mm -hmm. So they took their son. uh, She and her sister took her seven-year-old nephew to the eye doctor. And she said, as soon as we walked into the office on the radio, it started playing Tutti Frutti, Ah Rudy by Little Richard. That's awesome. Yeah. And so for all you skeptics out there, try doing the odds on that one. I think it's about winning. I think it's about as close as winning the Powerball. Um, now, here's what was going on there. Her mother's spirit is an electromagnetic soul. Pure energy mm-hmm. comes through. Since the time of Albert Einstein, part of his theory of relativity is that on the quantum level, the subatomic level, where everything is pure electromagnetic energy, time as we know it does not exist. Okay. Because she was an electromagnetic soul and they move at the speed of light, she's able to scan her, her, her grandson, pick up on issues with his eyes. She wants her grandson to be taken care of, gives the message, go to the eye doctor, and to verify that they were in the right place at the right time because, speaking of time, on on, um, 
the the quantum level spirits can perceive what you and i call the future and radio waves are also electromagnetic energy mm-hmm. she made sure that um she was giving us the very song that would be playing when they walked into the office to guarantee that they were indeed doing the right thing and fully received her message. And so that's how I analyze spirit communication. This isn't hocus pocus. Mm -hmm. This isn't magic. This isn't some delusion. This is based on quantum physics. And this is a spiritual, if you will, application of Einstein's theory of relativity. Well, you know, I'm sure that a large majority, I would I would imagine a large majority, will never believe in psychic mediumship unless you give them the Powerball numbers, which is what we were just talking about. Because, you know, I, I talk to people just out in the community as much as possible, talk about our shows, and, you know, they say, well, if this person was a psychic, why didn't they just, you know, pick the lottery numbers? And I'm like, that's a really basic thought. You have to expand your consciousness a little bit to try and understand what's going on. Well, they they may give, all right, people do that all the time. You do lottery numbers and, and I'll get numbers. But did the spirit say when those numbers are coming out? Right. You know, you say, well, I want winning lottery numbers. Well, they may give me a sequence of numbers that may come out 18 years, four days, and 27 minutes from now. Right. And, and I'm not being facetious um, about that. Also, you have to realize that, and, and I know how the skeptics say, oh, you all say that. Spirits couldn't care less about materialism and money. Mm-hmm. And you see, once we leave, when, once the EMS leaves the body, we go from a finite perception and living in our finite material world and to becoming an immortal living being. And there they get the big picture and fame, fortune, you know, those things mean absolutely nothing to spirits. I've done readings for a lot of famous people. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool when famous people they knew come through. Right. Uh, And and sometimes it's a big surprise. I was doing a reading. I was in Philadelphia and I was on WURD, The Word. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's an African-American station. And um, it was really, really great because uh, they had me taking calls from listeners. And it was funny because um, this woman called in. And she she was Sister D. Apparently, Sister D was a very prominent member of the uh, Baptist community in Philadelphia. Okay. And she said, can I get a message from my parents? And I described them. She goes, well, you've described them, but I need a message. And the message came through, and she said, that is something that my parents would have said. You are truly gifted. And I said, well, thank you. And then all of a sudden, the you know the switchboard just lit up like a Christmas tree on steroids, <laughs> and and so then after the 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 show, the host, and she was just the most amazing woman. She was um, in her early fifties. She said, "Would you do a reading for me?" And I said, "It would be my honor." And I started describing this gentleman that came through, and it felt like a grandfather. And she said, "Yes, you've described him, what he looked like, how he passed." Mm-hmm. And then I hesitated, and I go, "Well, there's somebody with him." She goes go ahead. I go, look, this is going to sound crazy, 
but I can swear the guy standing next to him is Gandhi. All right, you know, you know, doesn't that sound crazy? <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi, you know? And she looks me right in the eye and she goes, well, that isn't strange at all because my grandfather lived in India in the 1930s and he was very good friends with Gandhi. Oh. Gandhi taught him nonviolence and um, nonviolent non-cooperation. And my grandfather taught that to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and was instrumental in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. And also, and this is all like, you know, I'm like, I really am talking to Gandhi. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was like, oh my Gandhi. I mean, it, it was just, it, 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 it was, it was such an honor. And her grandfather said, we will be here for you. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the last message. And, and so you know, I, I hugged her and, and it was really wonderful. And, and then two weeks later, I get a call from the station. It was one of the producers and, and she was in tears. And I go, what's going on? The host of the show dropped out of a heart attack. She was only 52 years old. Wow. And and I was just so overwhelmed. And then I, I recalled, we will be here for you. you now, now, I say to some people, oh, so when you talk to those people, that's what happens. No. She had a, a, a heart condition and that's what happened. But her grandfather was letting her know that I will be one of the people to greet you when you transition from your world into the light. And to me, that's a beautiful thing. It is. Absolutely. So I've heard tons of differing opinions, and I try and keep an open mind about everything. I have heard people say that you shouldn't go to the light, that you know they think that it's a trick that when you know when they pass that you know they see family members and people obviously that they trust encouraging them come to me come to us this is the right way but then i've heard people you know say with their theory that that's like a trick to put you back into another human body so you have to kind of live this experience over again where do you stand like on reincarnation and stuff well reincarnation is real um, every spirit that, that, um, in every spiritual, uh, contact in which I call interdimensional communication session where it comes up, spirits all say that it is, um, I'm a near death experience researcher and a keynote speaker at the international association for near death studies and the Edgar Casey association for research and enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And pretty much everyone who's had a near death experience comes out of it, believing in reincarnation whether or not they believed in it before. And that gets to energies neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. So there are stages of an NDE. So when you die and your EMS leaves your body, in most of the the accounts, um, you go into a light and you'll see deceased loved ones that have passed. And then the next stage is going even... um, deeper into to the light, Mm -hmm. which is an all pervasive love, uh, which dare I say is the energy of the divine power we call God. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Every great spiritual teacher, no matter what belief system, refer to the divine power of God as light. 
And the reason for that is that light is the only form of electromagnetic energy visible to the human eye. Mm. We're talking earlier about the structure of the eye. Think about Moses, the light, the, the tree, that the bush that burned yet did not burn. Mm -hmm. So if you were living in the Bronze Age, like Moses did, how would you describe an intense concentration of electromagnetic energy using the terminology you were familiar with the most powerful form of energy other than lightning would be fire the light that burned yet did not burn then let's fast forward to the book of acts and this is the pentecost uh, so Jesus has been crucified and, and uh, according to scripture, ascended to heaven. Mm -hmm. And his disciples and Mother Mary are together and the power of the Holy Spirit descends upon them and they see tongues of fire on each other's head. Mm -hmm. So those of us who do aura work and you can see auras, the crown chakra, the one at the top of your head, kind of flickers and moves around. Mm -hmm. How would you describe that in the Iron Age using the vernacular of the day? it would appear to be a tongue of fire. And and I could go on and on and on because every religion has these examples. Mm -hmm. And I love a quote by the great Islamic scholar Rumi, who lived in uh, the medieval era, but you know, in the Middle East, um, he was Persian. And he said that the lamps may be different, but the light is the same. And the lamps are the different belief systems, but we're talking about the same light which is the divine energy of God. So going into the light, in my opinion, is not a bad thing, and nor is reincarnation. It's neither good nor bad. It simply is. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I have been just fascinated with frequency. More recently, I should say, we hear about musicians that use certain frequencies to create certain you know, some people would say bad thoughts. Some people would, you know, just say to enhance the experience or whatever. We have talked about frequency possibly being able to lift stones, bricks, blocks, whatever. Is the key to life frequency? Is that what it's all about? Absolutely. Because everything everything has a vibration earlier when i was talking about uh the quantum um on the quantum level mm -hmm. everything uh, see traditionally science has been split into two fields physics the study of inorganic um matter and and energy and biology the study of living matter but there is no distinction between biology and physics on the subatomic level because everything is energy. Right. So you and me are made of the same electromagnetic energy that the microphones we're speaking into are, that the air that we're breathing, the light we're seeing, the surface of Mars, the rings of Saturn, and the distance between our solar system and the star Alpha Centauri. Okay, so everything is EM energy. It just vibrates at different frequencies. So the pen sitting on your desk is the same EM energy that you are, but its vibrational frequency is at a much lower level than yours. Ergo, you're alive. Is our goal or should our goal 
be to raise our frequency and, and keep trying to work on that throughout our life, like through meditation and stuff like that? I, I don't think that it hurts. I think our goal in life, and this may sound really simplistic, but it's actually a lot harder than you might think. Mm -hmm. What does every religion teach? Every religion can be boiled down to two words. Be nice. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, people laugh when I say that. And it's like, okay, try. Try being nice. You know? Well, I definitely um, believe in karma. What you put out will come back to you. It, exactly. Exactly. So um, our goal, I, I think everybody's goal is unique. And it will be revealed to you if you're paying attention. And once again, that's the, the RAF technique, the recognizing, accepting, feeling, and trusting, uh, which I, I developed for the, the, my book, The Afterlife Frequency. Well, that, that's amazing. I, I really appreciate you breaking it down like that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. You've described yourself or people have described you as the psychic lawyer and the psychic explorer. Which one do you prefer? It's funny because the media loves to to uh, label me. Mm -hmm. um, what it is, when I first went public, I was in New York City at a media conference and someone said, that guy's a lawyer and a psychic. So they go, he's a psychic lawyer. So then that stuck. And then I do a lot of uh, discussions on paranormal phenomenon mm -hmm and ancient mysteries and one of the media outlets uh started calling me the psychic indiana jones and the psychic explorer <laughs> so so i was talking to uh, my publicity team you know my my manager and my agent sure. and so my my brand is mark anthony jd psychic explorer the jd is my juris doctorate psychic explorer so that way it compacts it all into one sure. so so yes mark anthony jd psychic explorer and what it is i've always you know wh when i was a teen i wanted to go into the clergy which is not unusual for a medium sure. to be drawn to the spiritual but i decided that had too many rules and regulations so i went into law gee go figure you know <laughs> Um, but I've had a lifelong interest in archaeology, ancient mysteries, theology, philosophy, uh, quantum physics, biology, astronomy. Uh, I'm just interested in so many different things. And so I speak at many different conferences on a wide array of topics, which is how the media labeled me the psychic explorer. Well, I love that. That's pretty cool. Let's talk just a, for a brief minute about remote viewing. Do you consider yourself someone who remote views? Because I mean, you can, you can kind of, you know, use your, some people would say imagination, some people would say gift, whatever you want to call it. You can visit places without actually being there and kind of get a, a feel of what's going on. You can, uh, you know, maybe picture things that are there. Would you consider that remote viewing? It is. Remote viewing is where you basically project your consciousness okay. to a location, whether it's across the the, the street or um, different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And there's 
in in uh, the Catholic religion, St. Clair of Assisi, mm. who was a contemporary and a friend and colleague of St. Francis of Assisi, she lived 800 years ago. And in 1958, she was designated by Pope Pius XII as the patron saint of television. Oh, wow. What? <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's why. She was well known for her piety and... and uh, very, very beautiful spirituality, but she became very ill and she couldn't leave the convent where she lived. So she prayed to God to let her see what was happening in mass at the church service. And she would see it in real time and describe it. She was a remote viewer. The Vatican's known about these phenomenon for centuries. Mm -hmm. That's why she was designated the patron saint of television, because she was seeing something transmitted uh, from, from a great distance. Uh, in the 1930s, uh, Great Britain started a psychic warfare division because they knew that Nazi Germany um, also had, uh, they were formulating a form of a psychic warfare division. And so secret services in the United States, Britain, France, Russia, China, um, we believe South Korea, possibly Australia and South Africa have all had remote viewers as part of their intelligence agency. Mm -hmm. So once again, this is not some woohoo airy fairy thing. This is something which has been seriously studied by, by intelligence agencies around the world. Have you, and you don't have to say if, if you don't want to, but have you been approached by like government officials that are saying, Hey, come and come and work for us for a little while. (laughs) Well, I, I've talked to them, but I, that's not really something that, that I want to do because sure. my my mission is to help people understand that God exists, that the afterlife, heaven, whatever you want to call it, exists, that our soul is an immortal living spirit, that we can communicate with spirits, and that we'll be reunited with our loved ones when it is our appointed time to leave this material world, and we'll be reunited with them in the light that is God or, you know, the, 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 the divine collective consciousness. And so that's where my focus is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, um, I've done some things that, uh, I probably shouldn't talk about. I mean, not cause they were negative, but right. you know, I've been consulted on things. Sure. Yes. I don't know. Everything gets weaponized, right? I mean, you can take something beautiful and they want to use it to kill people. <laughs> uh, you know, it's so funny because, um, UFOs. Uh, I'm fascinated by UFOs. Mm -hmm. People say, well, why don't the aliens contact us? Well, why would they? If they're observing us, they're seeing we're an incredibly violent species. Mm -hmm. We pollute and destroy our planet. And any technology that they gave us, we would immediately figure out how to weaponize. Right. So, you know, if I were them, I'd be like, yeah, this is a dangerous, uh, this is a very, you know, you don't give a, a whole bunch of gorillas hammers and then let them loose in a Tiffany China shop, you know? <laughs> Not if you want to keep the China, that's for sure. Right. And that's probably insulting to gorillas. Right. <laughs> so They're probably like, hey, we're peaceful, man. You guys are the ones that are, well, chimps are pretty bad too, but... Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, um, you know, Mother Nature is survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. 
I'd like to invite everyone to visit my website, which is afterlifefrequency.com, just like my new book, theafterlifefrequency.com. And you can sign up for my newsletter. I invite you to do that. You can also find out about how to tune into my weekly live stream show on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. My show is The Psychic in the Dock, and it's a call-in show, so you can call in and get a reading from me in conjunction with my uh, colleague, Dr. Pat Basil. Also, you can find out about scheduling a reading with me as well and and ordering my books. So please visit afterlifefrequency.com. And I want to thank you uh, for for tuning in and like to thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. It was a blast. I learned so much and we really appreciate your time. We'd love to have you back on in the future sometime. I look forward to it. Many blessings. That's all we've got for you tonight, Crypt Keepers. We hope you enjoyed the show, and don't forget to post the link on Facebook, Twitter, etc. We'll see you next week in the Crypt. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about King Tut. What can you what can you tell us about King Tut? Just as, uh, Now, I know a little bit. Just assume I know nothing. Well... 2022 is a very auspicious year in for Egyptology because 200 years ago in 1822 hieroglyphs the language the writing of the ancient Egyptians was finally deciphered and what had happened was in 1799 Napoleon invaded Egypt um, and he brought with him a whole group of scholars and archaeologists and they found this stone which we now know as the rosetta stone and it had three different languages on it one was uh ancient greek one was demiotic which was sort of a um a more uh, like a cursive form of egyptian in other words it was a more modern ancient egyptian language and the third were classical hieroglyphs well scholars could read the Greek and they could read the demiotic and the the messages were identical so that meant that okay the hieroglyphs said the same thing and a French linguistics genius by the last name of Champollion uh, spent years working with Rosetta Stone and then he cracked the code and he realized he, he figured out how to read hieroglyphs so that was 200 years ago and then 100 years ago the mysterious lost tomb of a shadowy pharaoh Tutankhamun was discovered in the Valley of the Kings by archaeologist Howard Carter and what is so uh, game-changing about Tutankhamun when we think of ancient Egypt we think of pyramids well pyramids were built during the fourth dynasty which was 4,500 years ago. And I know that some of my, my colleagues say that they were built by aliens and they're not really tombs. They're, you know, power plants and all this. And I've heard all those theories, but let's just take the archaeological perspective. And so the pharaohs of, of the fourth dynasty used to be buried in these magnificent tombs, which within a century or two of their burial had all been raided by grave robbers. So in the 18th dynasty, 
okay, which was a tremendous amount of time after the pyramids, the pharaohs were having their tombs built underground. Now let's give some time perspective here, Jeremiah. Almost as much time passed between the construction of the Great Pyramid at the Giza Plateau and the burial of Tutankhamun farther south in Egypt in the Valley of the Kings. Almost as much time passed between the construction of the Great Pyramid and the burial of Tutankhamun than passed between the birth of Jesus and the discovery of America by Christopher Columbus.